Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. This is Maximize Your Influence and Kurt Morrison here as we get down and dirty and talk about the power tools of persuasion, motivation, influence, even self-persuasion. And today we're going to take a deep dive on why new products fail and even get into some blunders of some things that's obvious that they would fail, but they multi-billion dollar companies try it anyway. We're going to talk about why. I'm back in town, did a whirlwind tour from... Paris to Dubai to Cairo to Hergada, which is in Egypt, to Morocco to Lisbon, Portugal, and I spent the last couple days in San Diego. Shout out to San Diego. Nice warm weather. We talked about power negotiation tools, detecting deception, not to use it, how to detect it. And the favorite one is the dirty deeds to all the ACDC fans out there. The dirty deeds are the dark psychological tricks that people still are taught to negotiation that they will try to use on you. Now, I do not endorse them. I do teach them because if you're not ready for them, you are going to get caught blindsided. It could cost you the deal. Let's start off with a listener email. And if you send me an email at Kurt, K-U-R-T, at MaximizeYourInfluence.com and I use your question on the show, you get a free membership to Influence University. So check out InfluenceUniversity.com for the free archives of the show and the advanced persuasion and influence programs. Oh boy! This one's from Kevin. Looks like you're living in Denver now. Says, Kurt, professor, took your college class last year and I wanted you to clarify something you brought up in class about product failure. You stated that most marketing professors agree that 80% of all new products fail. Tell me about that number and why they fail. So let's kick off with the blunder. Homer? Don't, don't, don't! If you're new to the show, we always have a blunder, and that's our Homer Simpson sound for that. So I'm going to combine the email with the blunder. Let's review some of the major blunders out there, some of the things that have happened. Now, I gathered some of these examples for the research I did for my books. Some of this from USA Today. Some of it's Wall Street Journals and an HBR organization article on why products fail. And, of course, the famous, if you don't know those, the Chevy Nova Awards. And their awards given out every year for products that fail. And the reason they call the Chevy Nova Awards is when they imported the Nova, the Chevy Nova, to South America. The word Nova mean doesn't go, and that didn't help sales. Or the baby food that was imported to Africa. And in Africa, not everybody reads, so whatever's on the label is in the jar, which was a baby. That was not good. This next one from the Chevy Nova Awards is Coors, Turn It Loose, was their slogan for a while until they translated it into Spanish, which meant suffer from diarrhea, which never helps beer sales, or when they translated the Jolly Green Giant into Arabic, it was the Intimidating Green Ogre. So that's where this is coming from. As we talk about, why 80%? Now, there's a lot of controversy on that. Some professors say 90%. Some go lower to 50%, 60%. No one really knows where that number comes from. All we know is a huge issue. So let's take 50%, 60% failure rate. That's huge for companies that spend billions of dollars on research, billions of dollars to understand their customers, and they have these high failure rates. Why? What's going on? 
A lot of people think it's the pricing that could be an issue. Quality, always an issue. Lack of support, the weak launch. I mean, those are always issues, and then companies tend to blame those. But there's other bigger issues we need to address and talk about so you can really understand how this works, whether it's just a minor launch of a personal product you develop or for a large company, it's the same. You have to think through human nature and why we do what we do. The big one, and I've always addressed, is that up to 95% of influence persuasion involves a subconscious trigger. And we see this with food, even the colors of food. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't look right. It isn't right, even if it tastes right. Black salt, they came out, failure. White mustard, failure. Taco Bell came out with black jack tacos. Nobody wants a black taco. Blue Pepsi, that didn't last very long. Even Crystal Pepsi, which was a clear cola. Both Coke and Pepsi have tried clear colas. Failure. How about this one? Cheetos lip balm. Really? <laughs> okay. So you have a cheese-flavored lip balm. I mean, maybe cherry or mint or something, but not Cheetos. Somebody didn't do their research there. Or Heinz ketchup came out with green ketchup, even blue ketchup. To get the kids to squirt about these colorful bottles, it just doesn't feel right. Or what about when Oreos came out? I think it's about 2014. Watermelon-flavored Oreos. Okay, yeah, not wanting watermelon with my Oreos. Of course, didn't make it, didn't last. wonder whose bright idea that was. And of course, part of this, it just doesn't feel right. It could be the cocaine energy drink. Okay, cocaine gives you energy, but you don't really want that to name your energy drink. Didn't last. Bottled water for your pets. Do we really need to go that far? Or the other mother daycare. Well, okay, 10 points for creativity, but it's already hard enough to drop off your kids. Now this is the other mother. How about this one? The touch of yogurt shampoo. Um, all right, not, uh, didn't know yogurt helped your hair. Maybe it does, but still yogurt and shampoo. This was done by Clairol. Just didn't feel right. And so that happens a lot of times. People just don't think about the feelings, the colors, the subconscious triggers. That could be a major blunder. And, and sometimes it's not their fault or lack of research. We saw this with the Galaxy Note 7 Samsung where the battery burst into flames. You couldn't even take it onto an airplane. Pretty interesting stuff. Did they know? I don't know. Major blunder. Saw this with Frito-Lay. This happened late 90s where they came out with WOW chips. Because everybody loves chips. Especially when you diet, you love chips. And here are chips had a fat substitute called Olestra. And this was the new stuff because your body didn't absorb this fat. So you're eating chips, enjoying chips, and you're still on a diet. Sounded great. And it went nuts the first year at $347 million. But it failed because of abdominal cramping, other bad things that happened. Yeah, did not last. Did they know? I don't know. So sometimes that could be an issue. And then sometimes you're just not following your brand. This is all part of the feeling. It just doesn't feel right. Smith & Wesson mountain bikes. Really, people that make guns are making mountain bikes. Cosmopolitan yogurt. So Cosmopolitan magazine came out with a yogurt. Lifesaver soda. These are all real, by the way. Bic did underwear. They're the ones who do, like, ballpoint pens and, I think, lighters. Bengay aspirin. Okay. What about Colgate toothpaste when they came out with food, frozen meals from Colgate. Now, they could have tasted great, 
but is it the toothpaste manufacturer that you really want to make your frozen food? Here's one. Maybe you like this, maybe not. Harley Davidson perfume? Yeah, actually happened. I don't know if it smelled like oil or gas or fumes or if it was actually nice, but Harley Davidson makes motorcycles. They don't make perfume. So following your brand could be a big piece. And that happens a lot with car manufacturers. They just kind of make whatever they feel they want to make. And this happened with Cadillac, where they assumed people wanted a more gas-efficient Cadillac because of the energy crisis. And they made a little stick shift Cadillac Cimarron. Okay, small little Cadillac. And, of course, it failed because you buy Cadillac because it's either got to be really big or really fast. You're not just buying it just because it's an average car. Another issue, too, is they're just not ready, or you're maybe trying to fix a problem they don't know they have. <laughs> they don't get it. So they either don't get how to use your product, maybe they don't realize how it's solving a problem, maybe they're just not ready for it. We've seen a lot of examples of those, especially with tech. The Newton, right? That was the first PDA, personal digital assistant. E-cigarettes came out a long time ago, but a lot of people complained they weren't quite ready, but it also tasted like burning plastic. I'm sure that did help. Video phones took forever to catch on. What about the Segway? Those two-wheeled scooters you just rode around? They failed miserably. They came out like in 2000. Now you only see them with mall cops, maybe at the airport. You're seeing a few people starting to rent them now, but it took some time. DVRs, the first DVRs failed. Microsoft had a watch just like Apple did, but too soon didn't take off. There was a website called Live Journal. It's a social network too soon. So sometimes we're not ready. We don't know how to use it. Maybe it was not quite perfected, can really throw people off. I know that happened to Post-its when they first came out. Nobody bought Post-its. I mean, why would you buy a Post-it? How would you even explain a Post-it on a radio commercial? A re-sticky, staple-free note. Yeah. I haven't needed it in the past. Why would I need it in the future? And so no one knew what to do with it. People didn't know they had a problem. People didn't know that was lame to staple, put holes through everything. So the solution to that is they just sent samples to the top 500 Fortune CEO, the secretaries of the the CEOs to use them. So sometimes when it's a new, different, interesting, unique product, you just got to get people using, engaged, and realizing that it's very helpful, especially with tech or things they don't know how to use or maybe they haven't needed in the past. Sometimes you just got to get in front of them and get them to use it. That can go a long way. But the biggest reason, based on my research and other research I've seen, is these companies focus too much on logic instead of the emotion. I've talked about this before. Or they get stuck in the group think, where the manager thinks it's a good idea, or the CEO thinks it's a good idea. They get stuck on the logic. They don't do any unbiased research. They do the wrong type of focus groups. They hear what they want to hear. They think it's the greatest thing ever because they're attached to this. So a couple things happen here with logic and emotion. When you're working with a company or a product or a service for a long time, the emotion tends to fade and you look at the logic. Just the logic, just the logic. Remember, big part of persuasion is the emotion. Or you get so emotionally attached to an idea because it was your idea and the greatest thing ever, you don't really look at the logic or the research or why it could go south or not work out. So there's a problem at each end of the spectrum, and we need to figure out how to use both of those. Some major blunders here, Google Glass, wearable technology. Eyeglasses that you could wear that had this smartphone technology, and they were hyping it up. It was going to be excited. It's going to work for everybody. 
But it, after two years, they tried to force us down our throats, but the sales were disappointing and they pulled it. People did not want Google Glass. There were privacy concerns. There were bugs, low battery life. You know, people were banning them in public spaces because who knows what they were recording and what was going on. It was just too much too soon. Google thought it was the coolest thing. They tried to force it down our throats, but emotionally with the privacy concerns, the ban for public spaces, what are people thinking about us that wear these things? They didn't focus on those and didn't deliver what the public wanted. Classic focusing on the logic versus the emotion. Or part of that too is they come out with what they think the consumers want without doing the research. Windows Vista, when it came out in 2007, an operating system, was a follow-up to Windows XP. People hated it. It did things that they didn't want. It just looked different. It didn't feel right because this is what they were forcing down our throats. Now, there were performance issues and other internet issues and other bugs too, but it just bombed. They kept pushing it and pushing it. And finally, here was Dell Computer that says, all right, you buy a computer for us, you don't have to have Vista, we'll give you XP, we'll go backwards. And that actually helped their sales. And Vista just kind of went by the wayside. And part of that too, I don't know if you remember that with Microsoft, another big blunder they did. In fact, I think we need another Homer here. Don't, don't, don't! Microsoft Bob. I hated this. It was this simple, easy-use interface to Windows. And Bob was either like a little house or a paperclip or this little cartoon character. And it would ask you for help and what you need to do. It would pop around with this goofy smile. Uh, not only was it poorly designed, it was just annoying, lame, weird, intrusive. I just hated the thing. And I guess I wasn't the only one because they had to pull it real fast. They discontinued it less than a year after its release. They thought it was helpful and cute and neat, but it just didn't sit well emotionally with the people that were using it to make them feel stupid from a goofy little character. Another one where they forced it down our throats, Ford did this, this is probably the biggest classic blunder, is the Edsel. 1957, the company was Ford. Man, Edsel was named after Henry Ford's son. It was ahead of its time. It was the car of the future. Everyone was excited. They called it E-Day, right? When the Edsel's coming out, it was disaster. It was overpriced. It didn't look futuristic. People thought it was ugly. And they kept pushing it, but after two years and losing $350 million, they pulled it because they tried to tell people what they wanted versus asking them what they wanted. So when you ask people what they want, do a little consumer research of the logical side and the emotional side. For example, back to food, the gallon of milk. If you taint the plastic a little yellow, the milk will last three days longer, which logically makes a lot of sense, but people don't buy yellow milk. When margarine first came out, it was white. Yeah, the color of lard. Why would we add food coloring to it? But they had to add yellow food coloring because of the emotional side. So we have to balance both. So here's the probably the most famous, one of my favorite case studies as we look at the logic versus the emotional side. Doing the right type of research, looking at both sides of the issue because you're probably too close to it. Either you've lost the emotional, you're just doing logic, logic, numbers, numbers, or you're too emotionally attached. It was your idea. It's great. Or you get stuck in groupthink where nobody wants to tell the CEO or the manager that it's a bad idea. It's not going to work. And this was Coca-Cola. This happened in the 80s. Coke was king. They dominated Pepsi. 
And they spent 10 times more money in marketing than Pepsi. Pepsi was nothing. But then all of a sudden, little old Pepsi was gaining market share. Not spending any more money, but gaining a lot of market share. And so here they are. Coke spending 10 times more money than Pepsi. And Pepsi's gaining market share, gaining market share. And something's up. What's going on? So they found out that Pepsi was doing what they called the Pepsi Challenge. That in blind taste test, people for the taste of Pepsi over Coke was like three to one. This big number and people were switching teams. And Coke didn't like that. And Coke's like, well, let's look at this. Pepsi's a little sweeter. Maybe tastes are changing. Maybe need to change the formula. And so they did some research. They created a new formula, did some blind taste tests, and they found out that Coca-Cola drinkers preferred the taste of new Coke to old Coke. It was dramatic. And again, these were blind taste tests. And so they look at the numbers and they said, let's change the formula. And they did. They changed the formula. They came out with new Coke. And I don't know if you were around, but hey, do the research. People freaked out. There were fights at the grocery stores for the old stuff. People going to Mexico to buy the old stuff. There were bomb threats. There was picketing. How could you do this? How could you change the secret flavor? I've been drinking this for 40 years. People freaked out. They went nuts over a soda. Because what Coke did, they looked at the numbers. People prefer the taste. Let's change it. We're losing market share. Blind taste test from the new flavor to the old flavor. Right? You get different results when it's not a blind taste test. That's a whole nother emotional side to this. Logically, duh, you look at the numbers, you make the switch, which they did. And again, people would just went crazy and they had to eventually revert back to the old formula, the secret formula, the formula they've been drinking for 30, 40 years, whatever it was, they had to go back because the focus was on the logic, not the emotion. In fact, when the CEO, Donald Keogh, was interviewed about this and they were talking about this blunder that they made, I don't know, some people say it might not be a blunder with the media and getting more exposure. But this is what he said about this whole new Coke thing. He said, there is a twist to this story which will please every humanist and probably keep professors puzzled for years. The simple fact is that all the time and money and skill poured into consumer research on the new Coca-Cola could not measure or reveal the deep and abiding emotional attachment to the original Coca-Cola felt by so many people. He said the passion for the original Coca-Cola and that is what the word they use as passion was something that caught us by surprise, right? They're too close. They had no idea. They're just making a soda. Then he says, it's a wonderful American mystery, a lovely American enigma, and you cannot measure it any more than you can measure love, pride, or patriotism. Isn't that interesting? So be honest with yourself. Are you too emotionally involved? Do you need to get some facts and figures and research? Or have you lost all the emotion and you're just going off the facts and figures and research? You need to have the balance of both. Otherwise, you can get stuck with that 80% product failure. So, Kevin, to recap, the major ones here, the emotion versus the logic. Making sure you're not getting stuck in groupthink. We're not getting honest opinions. But then to you, it's always good to look at pricing, quality, support. Is the launch strong enough? Take a look at the emotional subconscious triggers. And we talked about colors of food, packaging. The one everyone wants, Cheetos lip balm or blue ketchup. <laughs> Remember, does it feel right? Even little things like Kentucky Fried Chicken changed their name to KFC because the word fried had a bad trigger to it. Or the Pantagonia Toothfish, that everyone loved the flavor when they didn't know the name, but they wouldn't purchase it. They knew it was called Toothfish, so it's now called Chilean Sea Bass. It matters. So do your research. Make sure you follow your brand. And really take a step back. What does a consumer want? Not only logically, but emotionally. 
you can do that and step back and realize that consumers are willing to give you that information to help you out, then you can stay a little smoother on your product launch. So Kevin, hopefully that answers your questions and how to address that in the right way before you go down the wrong path. So thanks for your question. You get the free membership to Influence University. That's at InfluenceUniversity.com. Remember, we're on YouTube and Facebook at Maximize Your Influence. Make sure you hit the like button on those. And tell your family, friends, and enemies. If you want to know more about the product launches and the Law of Expectation, which is a Maximum Influence, that is Podcast 101. You can find that at Influence University as part of the free part of the membership. Or you can get the free book, Maximum Influence. This is the latest edition at lawsofinfluence.com. Pick up a little shipping and handling. Going to send that to you with a nice bonus. Again, thanks for being here. Appreciate your email and your support. Hopefully this new year is running fast at a good speed for you and you're seeing lots of success. Let us know your challenges. Send me an email at Kurt, K-U-R-T at MaximizeYourInfluence.com of things you want to hear and talk about on Maximize Your Influence. So again, master these skills, learn how to influence, and go out and persuade with power. 